Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? It is May 16th, coming at you here on a Thursday recording, and I got a lot to unpack here. A lot of different topics I want to discuss. There is a great piece from a college football uh, analyst that I want to get to regarding the college football portal. Of course, we're going to talk NFL, off-season program in full swing. Kareem Hunt speaks for the first time. The New York Jets fire their general manager. Adam Gaze is the acting interim general manager here currently. Also, baseball, Luke Voigt. Did the Cardinals make the right move there? And then, of course, there's no other topic, nothing else I can lead off with. Yesterday evening, let's get to it. It's episode 17 of the podcast. I think one of the dumbest things you can bring up in regards to yesterday evening, St. Louis Blues, San Jose Sharks. Sharks go up two games to one, of course, on a huge miscall from the officials. One of the dumbest things you can bring up and is often always a point of order for some reason for uh, a lot of talk radio heads or anyone that just wants to talk about it is how can the officials miss that? There's four of them. How can that happen? It Because it does. It's as simple as that. If you want to talk about the administration of how you handle a situation like this, a.k.a if it should be reviewable or not, that is the proper discussion to have. But to question why officials miss calls, why they have a lapse in focus, why their eye contact changes, why things obstruct their physical uh, station, then you simply just don't understand the the difficulty of the job. I, I, I just I do not respect when that comes out of anyone's mouth other than those that are involved. Doug Armstrong, bleeping garbage. I get that. You're involved. The hockey players, I get that. You're involved. The fans, sure. Media members, I hold you to a higher standard. Don't even bring that up. That has nothing to do with it. Talk about the administration of how you handle these situations. I'm on board with it. I think it should be a reviewable play. I'm not really sure why it's not. Usually when these situations happen, Rams, Saints, usually when this happens... You hear or, you know, people bring to light the reason why plays are not reviewable. Typically, it's a safeguard against teams abusing the enforcement of rules, a way to circumvent them, if you will. I haven't heard that yet uh, in regards to this NHL play. So I'm with everyone that thinks it should be a reviewable play. I'm with people that think they should hear from the officials after the game. Hell yeah, you're part of the story. You were out there. You, You need to talk. If the media, the media members are there, they they need to. Uh, it's part of the story. It's part of the story. I I I mean, I agree with that accountability factor. But from the media, as far as accountability, I also expect this out of you. I've been watching, and listening, and reading everything that the local media here in St. Louis is talking about this game, and of course, chief among them, the call, rightfully so. But what I have not heard enough of. Why aren't we talking about David Perron? It was a delay of game. That's not reviewable either. No one is even suggesting that should be a reviewable play. Why? Perron scored two goals later on. He shouldn't have even been on the ice. If you're going to clamor for change on this one, tell me at least why you don't believe there should be change on the other one. The delay of game from David Perron. These discussions have so many different angles that people take with it, and it's really not that difficult. 
Don't tell me or don't ask rhetorically how an official misses a call because it happens. It's the same reason the physical lapses, even the mental lapses by players and coaches happen. It's hard. It's difficult. There is a thin margin for error. Don't ask that question. That's just dumb. I'm sorry. And then also, if you want to be fair, if you want people to respect your position on if you're taking it, of course, if you think it should be a reviewable play, tell me why. Perron shouldn't be reviewable. Tell me why. Would you be saying this if it were the the Blues that scored in this fashion? If you can honestly say yes, okay, I'll believe you. I'll believe you. But I'll have a hard time believing you if you don't talk about the delay of game penalty. That wasn't. Blues are still, uh, I'm not going to say they're in the tight spot. They're down 2-1. They got a home game coming up here in two days on Friday. But as I sit here on Wednesday, a lot of the wrong things are being said by some of the uh, by some of the people that cover this game. I expect better. And once again, it's a disappointment from the coverage that we receive as consumers. One conversation that has been covered well, and this will be a tip of the cap session right here. The Luke Voigt trade last summer. A lot of questions on the end of New York. New York media, I follow a lot of them, see their work, see what they write, see what, they're, uh, what they say on their shows. They're curious as to why the St. Louis Cardinals, and to their credit, they're giving credit to the Cardinals organization as a well-run franchise. They're curious and want to know how the hell the Yankees got Luke Voigt from the Cardinals. And I really don't think it's a hard thing for St. Louis folks to understand because everyone seems to remember that it coincided with specific circumstances. Just like, as I always like to say, context is everything. Luke Voigt not only was not swinging the same, and this is just kind of my opinion, I think his swing has changed a little bit, and while he always had promising power uh, that is somewhat rare, he didn't have a spot for regular at-bats. Not only that, there's this guy called... Jose Martinez, who they were experimenting with at first base. They wanted to see if he could handle regular duties there. Not only that, there was a need for a left-handed pitcher in the bullpen late in the 2018 season in August. They also wanted to get some depth in the minor leagues right-handed pitching. That's why you got Gallagos. That's why you have Jason Shreve. So it seems to be well understood that whatever happens here with Luke Voigt, if he goes on and continues to be just just outstanding. Now, he's cooled off a bit here lately, but overall, he's been spectacular for the Yankees here in 2019 and the uh, latter portion of 2018. The trade is what needed to happen. There was not a spot for him. Maybe you have an exceptional hitter, but he doesn't have any defensive versatility. Jose Martinez can play the outfield. At least, you know, he can, he can, you can go out there and you can at least hope that uh, it won't be an utter disaster. Luke Voigt, you can't do that. You can't do that. And let's, uh, let's look at some numbers here. Jose Martinez in 136 plate appearances this year. Not as much as the 179 from Luke Voigt. But the numbers for Martinez, 18.5% K rate. Luke Voigt. 25%. Weighted runs created, 137, meaning 37% better is Jose Martinez than average. 
124 for Luke Voigt. Weighted on base average, 368 for Jose Martinez, 357 for Luke Voigt. Martinez has been the better player. Sure, he hasn't had as many at-bats, but he's playing every day now. Don't look back, St. Louis. I'm glad that everyone seems to be understanding that. I'm glad that the coverage has been there, that the circumstances dictated that trade. And even if it turns out to be a flop, it's okay. It's what the team needed at that time, and that's all you can ask for from a front office. New York Jets fired their general manager yesterday. Not sure if you saw it, but it's one of the bigger things happening in the NFL world. Some people seem to think that it's a totally unheard of thing for that to happen, even though evidence points to the contrary. And once again, your satirical 30-year-old writers over at the pop culture slash entertainment slash sports slash, you know, rapper whatever, you know, they, they're just throwing shade. They're coming out in droves, as I tweeted out. Just unbelievable, the coverage that you get with some of these things. What can I say that will just make people laugh? What can I say that will just drum up the most interest? Be damned giving any perspective of why this move was made. It's not unheard of for a general manager to get fired this time of year. In fact, it happened to John Dorsey prior to 2017. What happened to the Chiefs? They made the playoffs. It also happened to the Carolina Panthers before that year. What happened? They made the playoffs. People throwing shade at the Jets. Oh, they're dysfunctional. They always have been. I seem to remember two AFC Conference Championship game appearances. Did they win them? No. But that's still a pretty high level of success. That was years ago. The Jets have not always been dysfunctional. And in fact... People were praising the moves from the Jets that they did in free agency. Field Yates, a trusted reporter, and he's just that, he's a reporter. Even he got in the mix throwing shade on Twitter. He tweeted out, the Jets' plan recapped. One, let Mike McCagnan run a free agency period in which they spend $191 million on Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley, Jamison Crowder, and Henry Anderson. Number two, let McCagnan run a draft in which they had the number three pick. And number three, fire McCagnan three weeks after the draft. Hey, Field, this is your opportunity to gain some momentum, to gain a little more respect, and point out the reasons why you fire general manager after the draft. And the reason it does happen and it's becoming more popular is because you don't have time to put together your own scouting staff under those time constraints. I'm talking about if you were to do it after the regular season. You would have to completely revamp your scouting staff or just continue with the staff that was in place and then you just mess up the whole system. It's very simple, really. It's choosing stability over the unknown and keeping in place and understanding that maybe you don't like how you've delegated if you're Chris Johnson, the owner of the New York Jets. Maybe you don't like what's going on, but you understand that change will only sink you deeper and in a draft when you have the number three pick, a pick that you basically have to capitalize on, it's better just to go with what's in place. And oh, let's just remember, if there's one thing that McCagnan has done is he's nailed the first round picks. Everything else he hasn't been so great at. Fifth, sixth, seventh round, I've looked at those and I'm just like, this is why you don't win. This is why you don't win because McCagney can't supplement the roster. 
He is terrible at the waiver wire. What he has been able to do is pick some free agents that are pretty good. 2015, he did that under the mandate of then-owner Woody Johnson, Chris's father. He was ordered to go out, spend a free agency, and he did that. He got Scrine um, at cornerback, and they got a whole bunch of defensive players. They made a push for the playoffs. Uh, of course, it ended with Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing an interception in Buffalo. But what he's done is that he's proven I know who to spend on in free agency. And then, of course, I can nail first-round picks. So, with that being said, since we have free agency right after the season, since we have the draft and we have a number three pick, I'm just going to let McCagnin, this is Chris Johnson thing, and I'm going to let him run the draft. I'm not going to worry about who my next hire at GM is. Maybe he also just wanted to test out whether Gase and him could get along. My guess is that he probably didn't think it could work. Gaze was his guy all along. McCagnin knew that if he wanted to stick around, possibly, that he just had to live with Gase. It's really simple why you fire a general manager later. You don't want to screw up this an important part that is eminent for your franchise. The Jets had damn near 200 in salary cap space. They needed to capitalize on free agency. McCagnin has competently displayed he can do that. First-round picks, he's nailed them. Chris Johnson chose to stick with what he had. It's really not that dumb. It's actually pretty smart on his hand, on his part. And not only that, there weren't really a lot of great options to choose from for general managers this past, uh, this past offseason. Not a whole lot of movement there. A lot of people... A lot of guys, as far as front office executives, have learned they're not just going to pounce at any one job immediately. They're going to stick with an organization that they've been with for longer, learn more, and then pounce at the right jobs when you have the owners that don't change on a whim. Some executives aren't just going to pounce for the uh, the Cleveland job. They're not going to do that because they know how those owners operate. Now Cleveland, as we all know, is more... Uh, prosperous place to be currently but as we all know it, it wasn't that good for a long time Scott Pioli has now just stepped down from the Atlanta Falcons he is the assistant GM to uh, Thomas Dimitrov it's not that uncommon for these shakeups to happen now Kevin Clark of the ringer Field Yates ESPN people just laughing at the Jets yeah okay you keep doing that keep telling the fans and feeding into what they want to hear. Don't tell them what they need to hear. Don't inform them on how things operate. And we'll just continue to wonder why teams and fans continue to further distance themselves and why fans don't understand the team and the team don't understand fans. It's because the media, the conduit, is not doing their job. Big news in the NFL today. Patrick Peterson will be suspended six games for performance-enhancing drugs. Just say Big, big blow to the Cardinals and their defense. Some of these suspensions, some of them aren't as big a deal as others. You know, Julian Edelman was one that wasn't as big of a deal to the Patriots, but this one of the Cardinals, Patrick Peterson, where they currently are, their defense, I mean, they they don't have any elite-level players besides him. Jordan Hicks is a good player. They just signed him to a four-year contract, but that guy is hurt all the time. You can't really count on him. That's why I was thinking he would take a one-year pillow contract because I think it was all that would be offered to him. Cardinals gave him four years, and while I think the talent and when he plays, his production warrants that, it's just it hasn't been enough. They're very young. They're young all over on that defense. This is a really 
big, devastating blow. And while I don't think the Cardinals were going to make the playoffs this coming year, you can pretty much just throw it out the window now because I don't think the the better part of their schedule early on is going to be in their favor. Now, the one caveat is that if this offense can really click and have Kingsbury's offense down from the get-go, which it's pretty much all new players, it's new coach, it's obviously young quarterback. That's why I don't think it can happen. But offense definitely plays earlier in the season to defense. So there is that caveat. But man, Patrick Peterson. Unfortunately, we don't learn what uh, what he tested positive for or what's even on the banned list. That's why uh, this is just kind of a quick side note as far as like why baseball performance-enhancing drugs is kind of a bigger deal is because you, you know the list. Like, you can go and, like, look at the list of the banned substances for baseball. Football doesn't disclose that publicly. That's why, subconsciously, I think a lot of people don't care because they're just like, oh, yeah, I don't know the substances. Uh, I mean, a lot of this is just permitted that otherwise would be not permitted in baseball. So I think that is a contributor of why, as far as baseball, people don't uh, like it. Or, you know, there's just more uproar when someone uh, tests positive for PEDs. But, you know, unfortunately, we don't know what he uh, tested positive for. A future Hall of Famer, perhaps, and uh, Patrick Peterson. The word shutdown corner gets thrown around a lot. I remember Josh Norman. He got that label far too soon, and now we see that that was indeed true. He's just his own corner. Not really that great. Can't play man. Patrick Peterson is a true cut off half the field. The quarterback doesn't even look over there because his receiver is manned up with Patrick Peterson. This guy can do it all. Um, I think it was A.J. Green that I read. He came out earlier this week, said he's the best corner in the game. I thought so, too. Um, I thought Jalen Ramsey was entering territory of shutdown corner. However, he didn't play so well uh, this past season, but he's got all the talent in the world. He's got all the skills in the world to be there, and ultimately I think he will one day. But a sad day for a good player that we're not going to be able to see, and definitely a sad day for the Cardinals. This will impact them greatly, and I think they'll get off to a slow start at the beginning. I could see them being the team that finishes hot once they have it all together and the team that uh, will have high aspirations in 2020. Interesting article that I came across. I was on the Twitter timeline, and someone that I followed had quoted it or linked to it, and uh, I checked it out. It's in regards to college football. The, uh, the player portal, as they call it, basically where players can submit their name and uh, pu- basically try and qualify for transfer eligibility immediately to a different school. A lot of players have been doing it, and it's drawn a lot of attention from the media to ask the coaches what they think about it. And the coaches had some you know fairly honest assessments of what they think about it, and overall they, they don't like that a kid is basically almost immediately turning at the first sign of trouble. That's what you get, got from Kirby Smart, Georgia head coach, and that's kind of the angle he took from it because he seems to be wanting to hit home to players, specifically the young ones that don't play right away. Hey, you don't just bail on the first sign of trouble. And overall, I I totally agree with that, but I mean, what you have to understand what I would have liked to hear him mention is that Hey, coach, some players aren't bailing for that reason alone. Some of these players simply don't believe you that things are going to get better. Because every coach is going to say, stick it out. They're going to say stick it out if they, you know, think you're a talented player. Because they want as many talented players as, you know, as possible. 
So some players are simply saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe your intentions with me because there's a lot of different intentions for different players with coaches. They don't always have the best interests of the player. So I can understand them wanting this route to go. But the main thing I want to get into, and if you were to ask me what I think about the college football player portal or just overall, I would say, well, I hate it. And it's basically the reason why I'm not a big college football guy. I don't like the way players are acquired. I really don't. It's scholarship. And it's basically on the choice of the player. In fact, it is on the choice of the player. That's exactly what it is. And you just pitch your school, you pitch your program, and it really just leads to, you know, disparity between the levels of programs. And then, of course, we could get into the qualifying for a championship. I don't like that either. But this is just another reason why college football, it's its not enjoyable. Because the way the rosters are constructed sucks. And not only that, you have a system now in place that is trying to, you know, make it better. And it's only aggravating the coaches. And we can already see the shift in the relationship dynamic. Herm Edwards, now the coach at Arizona State, I believe it is. Yeah, Arizona is now Kevin Sumlin, who I think should be in the NFL. Kevin Sumlin, why'd you do that? You should have been an offensive coordinator in the NFL. You would have been the next uh, hot head coaching candidate after a few years. Why'd you go to Arizona? Anyway, Herm Edwards, Arizona State. He brought up the fact that if your name is in the portal, basically it's a red flag that you're leaving and the coaches are seemingly done with you. And that doesn't help anyone. But that also reveals the shift in dynamic of the relationship between coach and player. And this is something that I only think that I think will only get exacerbated if you start paying players. No longer will coaches be calling players kids. No longer will the players be saying, coach cares about me as a person. No, 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 buddy. Once you're on payroll, you're an employee. You're an employee. And if you're not getting the job done, they will cut you loose as soon as they can. Loyalty will be no more. Now, look, we can chop up that argument whenever whenever that time comes as far as paying players and all that. Okay, I I can understand plenty of the arguments here. But all I know is, is that the traditional relationship between student athlete and coach, that changes completely if money gets involved. We're already seeing it here with the player portal in college football. Let's circle back to the NFL. Kareem Hunt addressed the media, addressed the public for the first time since he was put on the commissioner's exempt list for the video that was released of him striking a woman. And Kareem Hunt, a player that played one plus years in the league, almost two full seasons before he was let go in November, he, uh, I think he looked physically comfortable at the podium. No surprise, he's been doing press conferences for some time now. I think his answers were pretty scripted, just as they could be. Um, not a whole lot of, you know, it wasn't that strong, but it was strong enough. What was glaring was how nervous he was delivering those answers. The whole time I was wondering, Kareem, did you not practice in front of the mirror? in your swanky-ass Cleveland apartment? Did you not practice in a room full of Browns PR guys in one of those conferences and, you know, script your answers there and practice everything that was going to be asked of you? 
I understand you can't predict 100% of the questions that come your way, but you had months to prepare for this. Oh, gosh, he, he just did not look comfortable delivering those. Uh, I can understand, even if some, he is completely contrite, really is sorry that there's going to be some just normal nervousness. But, man, you know, some of these answers, not I mean, some of them were fine, but the one that is just so, so bad was the one when he was asked, why didn't you tell the whole truth to the Chiefs? He answered back by saying, I tried to say as much as I can, or I tried to say as much as I could. And that's just unbelievable. John Dorsey has to be burying his hands into his face. Kareem, you just should have admitted it. You should have said, I tried to get away with it. I was worried about my career. Just say, just tell the truth. Tell the truth and then say how that's wrong. About how I shouldn't do that. I mean, this was just... The guy lied about a moment that he lied. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. He lied about lying. And, you know, full disclosure, I was with the Kansas City Chiefs in their front office when he was let go. And I just remember that day, every everybody was on eggshells. It was a day to that was really just, you know, momentous in the change of, of the season. And, you know, I don't believe that Kareem Hunt is a likely two-time offender of domestic abuse. Uh, I think that he was obviously intoxicated on this night. I think he was triggered by something that the woman said. Now, I believe it is said to have been racist, if I am remembering correctly. And if that is true, I can understand his fury being at those levels. Acting on it is completely unacceptable. So, with that being said... While I think the discipline, that, that there should be discipline, I don't think this is a likely behavior repeat, in my opinion. The trouble that I have with Kareem Hunt and why I don't, I would not have signed him if I were John Dorsey and the Browns is that he lied to his previous organization. He sat down, looked him in the face, and just didn't tell him the truth. He didn't tell him the truth. And he obviously didn't have a grip on just how uh, precious his job is. You play running back, dude. Yeah, like that's the most dispensable position on the team. Yeah, you're talented. I get that. You, I think you won the you won the rookie rushing title, uh, rookie of the year. That was 17. I don't think you won that. I can't recall. But guess what, man? The Chiefs were just fine after you left. Damian Williams. Yeah, he got a contract extension. That, oh, just not another good day, in my opinion, for Kareem Hunt. Not another good day. Not a good start to his uh, Cleveland media um, connection there. Should have just been honest. Should have just said, I tried to save my career. I shouldn't have done that over the sake of being honest with others. And he, he dropped the ball there, and we'll see how his Cleveland clear goes from here. That is going to do it for episode 17 of the podcast, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, but here is what I need you to do. I need you to hit up the text line, 816-226-7483. I want to know what you think about this Blues play. Should it be reviewable? What am I missing on it? What are your thoughts overall? Hit up the text line, 816-226-7483.
816-226-7483. It's also in my bio. You can find that on all social media, at Pete4C. That's number four, letter C. Hit me up there. Slide up in those DMs. Let me know what you're thinking, what you want to hear about, what you want to say to me, any questions, comments, concerns, anything that you have to say to me, I'll answer right here on the show next week. Go ahead, hit me up there. Until then, have a great rest of your week. 